We are going to have a special broadcast on the Lawn of Fire coming away live from Toronto. We'll play clips from a confrontation I had in Charlotte on Saturday night, and then we'll take you into my debate with Rabbi Shmuley. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. I am coming your way, friends, live from Toronto in Canada, Lausanne Evangelism. So leaders come from around the world to discuss reaching the Jewish people with the gospel. I'm here for a couple of days, just got in from New York, got home for a day, literally turned around, came back here, and delighted to be with you. We've got a great broadcast planned out for you. And the phone lines are open, 866 866- Three four eight seven eight eight four eight six six three four truth. Anything you want to ask me about, talk about. The phone lines will be open. I will be more than happy to take your calls. All right. First, I want to share with you what happened Saturday in Charlotte, North Carolina, and take you into. A little confrontation I had with black Hebrew Israelites. I didn't want to play it yet. I'll, I'll tell you when, guys. A little premature there. Thanks. Okay, so here's what happened. Uh, I was flying in from New York City, and I was going to get in. My plane was going to arrive five, a little after five. And then I was meeting my wife, Nancy, and our daughter and her husband and their two kids, for a special going-away dinner for our eldest granddaughter who's on her way to Liberty University. So we were meeting there, and the way it was going to work out, I wasn't going to be able to get home, turn around, and get with everyone first. So my assistant, Dylan, dropped me off right in the heart of Charlotte. It's, it's called Uptown. It's really not downtown from what I understand. But dropped me off in Uptown Charlotte. And I had, I don't know, 20 minutes or so, half hour before the rest of the family was going to arrive. So I was just strolling around. this beautiful summer night in Charlotte. And I had my Bible app out. I was kind of walking, just looking down, reading and strolling around. And I hear loudspeakers shouting. I thought, could this be? Could this be? So I get closer. And sure enough, it's the black Hebrew Israelite cult. And they've got a setup. They're on a platform. They've got these charts and signs up there. Got these burly guys you know, bodyguards, and they're, you know, preaching whatever they're preaching, a message of hatred, message of bigotry and racism. And I, I walked past, I confronted them in the early 90s in New York City, and I, I felt led by the Lord to do it, so I did it. So I, I was walking kind of around that corner, back and forth a bit, and the more I listened, I just stood there with a very conspicuous smile saying, I, I totally disagree with you guys. But I had my Bible app open on my phone, just looking down, reading. And the, the guy with the mic calls me out. We got a white man here and so on. And so I came right in front of the platform. And there was another man there, another black brother, actually, 
who is trying to preach Jesus, preach the real gospel in the midst of this. So he said to me, you're a white man. I said, I'm a, said, I'm a Jewish follower. Of Je- you're Jewish? I said, yeah, I'm an Israelite. Israelite? What tribe? Now, we don't know for sure, but to make life simple, I said, Judah. I said, Judah, I'm going to show you something. So he starts reading from Revelation 1. Now, remember, he called me out. He challenged me to come up and call me out. So I decided, hey, let's make this a teachable moment. I grabbed my phone and started to record. Now, you're going to hear my voice pretty loud as well because it's being recorded in the phone. But being there, you hear his voice thundering through the PA system, and then I'm trying to get a word in. All right, let's play clip number one. About the past, we make golden girls. We have it, guys. Uh 14, Uh and his hair, and his hair was white. White! White! Okay, so why, why was I shouting out white? Most modern translations say the hairs of his head were white like wool. But the King James, which he was reading from, said his head... And his hairs were white like wool. Okay, so if you are black, then your head is not white. And people say, no, 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 but the hair was like wool. No, it was white like wool. And then white like snow. It's not talking about the texture. It's talking about the color. Now, my only point was to say you can't use the vision in Revelation 1 to prove the skin color of Jesus. Well, his feet were like burnished bronze. It, 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 he is glorified and glowing and shining. And if you want to use it to argue skin color, you know, King James, you could say his face was white. That was my point. Like, what are you reading? You're completely defeating yourselves and what you're reading. So uh, we go on and I'm challenging them. The the, the whole clip we have on our YouTube channel is uh, about two minutes, 45 seconds. Got a ton of views on our Facebook page as well. Ask Dr. Brown. But uh, here's what happens now. I, I I speak directly into the phone for a moment here. Clip number two. Bottom line Look is real simple. Black people have because these guys right, don't have the truth. They won't give me the mic. As white as snow. As white as why are you so afraid to give me the mic why are you so afraid to give me the mic ah very interesting they challenge me they call me forward and they won't give me the mic Only one reason people do that, because they will not allow their views to be exposed. Look, if I was doing a public debate of some kind, if I was in a public forum and I was doing a, or or here, I'm I'm giving a public talk with a loudspeaker and challenging different groups, okay? If someone from that other group showed up, first thing, and they came up, I want to debate you. Great, come up on the platform, man. I'll hold the mic, but we'll go back and forth. You give your point, I give mine. Oh, not in this setting. So I was, I was not just trying to speak to them. I didn't know I had any chance at all of reaching any of them. But God knows what's going on in different hearts. And maybe 
you know, some of them have questions. But there are people around watching. I wanted to say something to the people around as well. And afterwards, I walked around and talked to them, black, white, different ethnic backgrounds, different colors. I said, what do you think about this? I said, I don't care if Jesus is black, what is color. It doesn't matter to me. But he died for us. Don't we need each other? Shouldn't we be coming together? And, and, and people were in agreement with me, overwhelmingly so, that as I spoke to them. Okay? So uh, let's continue here. And this is, again, what I'm preaching and telling them the truth of the gospel. We go to clip number three. Jesus could be black. He died for you, and he died for me. Jesus could be black. He died for you. He died for me. You need salvation through Jesus. You need salvation through Jesus. In the name of Jesus, Yeshua, you are the liar. You need salvation. Jesus died for you. You scorn him, you're lost. God bless you. So I was going to make it as clear as I could. Look him in the eye and tell him, Jesus could be black. That's not the issue. He said to me, what's his skin color? I said he would have been a brown skin. So I understand, light brown skin, Middle Eastern man. <laughs> I said, not like you, not like me. But it's, it is ultimately immaterial. Whatever skin color the ancient Jewish people were living in the Middle East at that time, that's what Yeshua's skin color would have been, all right? And, and whatever, that's fine. I know skin color issues have been used through the centuries in bigoted and racist, racist ways. And for example, when Jesus is, is presented Caucasian European, that is dis, that has separated him from his Jewish roots and made him just look like some medieval Christian to the Jewish community. It has separated him from his, his roots in the Middle East. I understand these things have been used in bigoted ways, but these guys, they had this picture of Jesus, a white-looking Jesus with 666 on his head. Then after they got their points, they, they threw it down on the ground. They are the ones inciting hatred and bigotry. And we talk a, a lot about white supremacism, and we call it out. I wrote an article recently saying, I'm not dreaming of a white America. Uh, I want America to return to the best aspects of its Christian roots while giving liberty and freedom to all to worship or not worship according to their dictates. But absolutely, absolutely, I, I do oppose white supremacy, black supremacy, racism, bigotry. As I see it, I'll call it out. This particular day, having called out white supremacists in recent days, now it was time to call it these black supremacists. All right, last clip from this confrontation in Charlotte, North Carolina on Saturday, clip number four. Why are you so afraid to give somebody else the mic? Why are you so afraid? Because you know you're not on the side of truth. I could care less if Jesus is black, Moses is black, he died for our sins. You guys are racist, bigots. You need Jesus who died for your sins. We all do. May God have mercy on you. Now, some folks asked me, well, why do that? Isn't it dangerous? First, when I feel God's in something, danger is not an issue. When I feel God's in something, I don't really think about danger. I think about obedience. And in this case, I, I didn't feel there was any danger on a public corner in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, with 
with lots of folks standing around. Though it's funny, I went up to talk to one of the bodyguard guys. I mean, a big, strong-looking guy, and I went up, you know, just to get closer to him, not not anywhere near touching him or anything like that. And he goes, "Step back!" I said, "I'm a 64-year-old man. What do you what do you think I'm gonna do? Oh yeah, I'm gonna jump him and start a brawl." But um, I, man, I think you deep down I think you know better. I mean, some of them, look, these are regular human beings. These are regular people with families and kids and stuff like that and feelings and emotions, and they care about things, and, and they're like anybody else. You never know who, who the Holy Spirit's working on, and that's why the loudest thing I wanted to tell them was we all need Jesus. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We all need Jesus. Someone else said, well, what's the use dealing with them? They're not going to listen. Well, I, I filmed it to make it a teachable moment for others, and then my goal afterwards, as I said, was to go around and talk to others that were standing there listening and watching and talk to them about Jesus and talk to them about us coming together, transcending race and things like that. All right, we'll be right back. Phone lines are open. If you have a call, question, comment of any kind on any subject relative to the show, give me a call, 866-348-7884. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the Line of Fire. Michael Brown coming away live from Toronto in Canada. Oh, yeah. 866-34-TRUTH. It's 866-348-7884. Opening the phone lines wide on this Monday. I've got a bunch of things I want to talk to you about, but anything on your mind, any question you have for me, any issue you want to raise, any subject that relates to the line of fire, give us a call. I'll be taking calls on and off over the course of the Clips with Rabbi Shmuley. It was really neat uh, here in Toronto running into folks at this conference that were at the debate doing Jewish ministry. So they were at the debate Thursday night and so glad to hear how the debate blessed them and how Jewish people who don't know the Lord, don't believe in Jesus as Messiah, were tuning in to watch the debate from different parts of the world. So, by God's grace, the message is getting out, and I do dearly love my friend, Rabbi Shmuley. That, that leads to uh, another topic. And before I play you some clips from the debate, uh, this is something that's really bizarre. I'm not even going to dignify these people by mentioning their name. And they have so disqualified themselves from being taken seriously. I'm only going to be mentioning much of their name until at the right point we put on a major expose of just how far off these folks are. But I started getting clips sent to me and links sent to me by this other group accusing me of, quote, cowardice in my debate with Rabbi Shmuley. I'm thinking, you know, you can accuse me of all kinds of things, but cowardice is not one of them. It's, it's, never, it's never been my issue as a follower of Jesus. 
and, and things. I wish I could have done that. But uh, cowardice has just not been one of my big issues through the years. I mean, that's why it's just very natural for me uh, to go and confront a whole bunch of, of these racist guys in, in the streets of Charlotte and with all their anger and, you know, big burly guys and bodyguards and all this. And, and I'm obviously the odd man out, you know, as, as a white guy calling them out for, for the racism. It's like I'd be an odd man out if I'm calling out some white guys for their racism. You know, it's just you don't fit. All right. So, a comment. You know, I've respected Dr. Brown for years and listened to him for years, but I can't listen to him anymore after his cowardice in the debate with Rabbi Shmuley. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to engage this guy. We get hundreds of thousands of comments, you know, on, on social media. But I saw this. I said, I'm, I'm going to engage this guy. And I said, hey, you're not listening to the lies circulated by this other group about cowardice. I said, I was very plain. Rabbi Shmuley knows that I believe he needs Jesus and he's lost without him. I've told him that repeatedly privately, publicly, he knows it. I mean, we're friends. We've done many debates. So, and by God's grace, the guy writes back and says, well, you're just more gracious than I could be. And I could never handle someone like him. He's such an agitator. It's like, it's like excuse me. Speak, since when did speaking the truth in love become cowardice? Since when did speaking the truth in love be call, become cowardice? I'm going to ask it one more time. Since when did speaking the truth in love become cowardice? Since when is, is, is boldness equated with nastiness? Since when is boldness in your temper? Since when is boldness equated with meanness of spirit? Putting people down in non-compassionate way. I, I mean... What in the world are people thinking? <clears throat> yeah, there are plenty of times people wimp out. And there are plenty of times Christians mistake cowardice for compassion. You know, they think, okay, I'm just being compassionate, whereas in fact they're being cowards. But when you speak the truth in love, you don't back down from that. You don't change the story. You don't deviate from it. And you say it with love. How in the world is that cowardice? What are people thinking? Now, there are people who just lie about us. That's, that's fine. We get lied about by the second. That's a good sign. We're speaking the truth. We're doing right. Okay? The name of Mike Brown is not blasphemed the way the name of Jesus is blasphemed. All right? Or I should say, I'm not reviled. Same Greek and Hebrew word. I'm not slandered the way Jesus is blasphemed. Okay? His, his name is blasphemed a billion times to one over any of us, people hating God and mocking God and blaspheming God. But my name is reviled uh, uh, enough times. Do, I, do you have to get nasty now? I mean, what, what in the world are people thinking? So let's take you into the debate, and let's go to clip number five, Rabbi Shmuley asking me a direct question. But it all comes down respectfully to one thing. Are you prepared to go the, the, the whole nine yards and say that Shmuley, you as an Orthodox Jew who does not believe in Jesus, who remains dependent on the law, that you're going to heaven? Are you prepared to say that? I, I'm going to answer you completely directly in a moment because this has come up before. Okay. I've never asked you this question, but I'm, I'm going to, okay, my answer to you is that the best Jew on the planet, the best Christian on the planet, the best Hindu on the planet, 
on the planet at their best day is not righteous enough to receive eternal life. And that, and that you and I need the mercy of the Messiah. So if we reject that mercy, we're, we're lost. All right. Uh, seems to be pretty direct answer. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out, uh, aside from people just lying about me outright because they hate the truth and they hate the light and we're exposing their error and we're exposing their darkness. So they're going to try to attack in every kind of way they can, which again, they're just exposing their own error and their own ignorance and their own immaturity. And I pray that God will grant them repentance. But what is indirect uh, about that? Uh, I'm going to go to the phones in a moment, but before I do, Let's, let's follow through. We go back and forth. I had a question for Schmiller. We go back and forth. And then, this was the conversation part of the debate. Then clip number six, uh, Shmuley's asked, asked a great question. What do you mean when you say the word lost? So let's listen to what comes next. So when you say the word lost, I feel that's a euphemism. What do you mean I'm lost? You mean I need a GPS? You mean I need Google Maps? What does lost mean? Right, so it, it can be, in New Testament terms, understood in one of two. And first, I'm not your judge. I really hope that if I believe that you're lost or even hellbound, I hope I'm wrong, honestly. I don't hope I'm wrong about my faith in Jesus, but I, I would be wonderfully surprised to see you. You've got the most amazing kids I've met. Your wife's amazing. I love hanging out with your family. My wife's so amazing. I'm, Did you see these glasses she gave me? Okay. okay. So, so I'm, I'm, it's ultimately... You're asking my view. I'm not your judge, and I'm glad I'm not your judge. Okay, we're both going to stand before the same God. All right? I just believe you on your best day, me on my best day, we fall short. All right? So lost is understood in one of two ways in New Testament terminology. Either you are cut off from eternal life, so you die, and that's it. You die, you're judged by God, and that's it. You don't receive eternal life. That's the end of the story. Or lost is that there's an eternal hell. There's a debate among Christians among these things, okay? But it's going to be the exact same thing for Hindus, for Buddhists, for Muslims. In other words, you, it would be just as offensive, God willing, when I debate some Muslims in, in London in November, if we have the same conversation. I mean, they believe I'm lost. I believe they're lost. All right, so again, I don't know how to say it, any more clearly. I, I don't know how to say it any more directly, okay? You're lost without Jesus. There's a debate among Christians as to what that means. Do people perish? Are they eternally destroyed? Are they tormented consciously, eternally? What is the nature of hell punishment? But you're lost without Jesus. Now, now look, do you have loved ones that don't know the Lord and they were, as human beings, kind, sweet, caring people, but they had a little different theology than you, a little different belief than you, and you, you really hope that, that they come to the Lord. You pray for them, and they die without ever receiving Jesus. As far as you know, they're lost. As far as you know, you'll never see them again. As, as far as you know, they are condemned to eternal punishment. But would you be amazingly surprised to see them in heaven? Would that be a wonderful thing? Yeah, it would be wonderful. We just don't see how it could happen based on our theology and our knowledge. So they're, they're counter-missionaries I deal with, rabbis. I would love to see them in heaven. I, I just don't see how it's going to happen. Okay, I, outside of them explicitly putting their faith in Jesus 
I see no way that it could happen. So said it as plainly as I know how. Let's pray for Rabbi Shmuley that God would supernaturally open his eyes and that he would have an encounter like Saul of Tarsus did, where he'd encounter the risen Jesus, Yeshua. Man, wouldn't it be awesome if his wife and his kids did? Let it, let it be. Either way, I love him. He's my friend. I pray for him. I wish God's best for him. But above all, I wish that he would come to know the Lord. All right, we'll be back. We're going to take some calls, 866-348-7884 is the number to call. God of light, hear our cry, the fire. It's the line of fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the line of fire. Michael Brown coming your way live from Toronto, California. It is my joy to be with you. 866 Did I say Toronto, California or Toronto, Canada? I don't know. Can't replay it in my brain right now. All right. 866-348-7884. Be taking calls on a wide range of subjects. I'm not getting into the whole Jeffrey Epstein story now and his apparent suicide and all of the other discussions about that. But I will say that there are some sober lessons, which is uh, everybody's going to die. Everybody's going to face judgment. And here he goes from being a billionaire. You talk about your sins finding you out. And then how many other people involved with him are hoping that his death will, will, keep them safe so he won't be able to implicate them. You know, there's nothing like living with a clean conscience. I may write on that uh, sad news over the weekend that a worship leader and songwriter, well-known at Hillsong, Marty Sampson, says he's renouncing his faith. And one reason is no one talks about the tough issues. So I was kind of incredulous about that. I, I wrote an article. You can read it at stream.org or at askdrbrown.org and other sites that post my articles. Where I just asked respectfully, Marty, what, what world have you been living in? Say we, no one discusses the tough issues. That's what we do and around the clock. And some of my colleagues do and so much of the body does, but maybe other parts of the body don't. Maybe there are other things going on. Uh, let me just say this one thing. There are some who are saying, aha, you see, you see, this proves what we were saying about Hillsong, and it's not really Christian, or it's a prosperity cult, or it's superficial, whatever. And I'm not here to make a commentary on it. I need to study. It's just never been something I focused on. Brian Houston's teaching or others had some interaction with New York City Hillsong Pastor Carl Lentz. We've had some really excellent candid interaction. But I... I'm not here to make a comment about Hillsong right now, but I just want to say this. Before you go around condemning different groups, uh, be, 
before you go around saying, well, see, this is a proof that this group is no good, and this is a proof that this group is no good, and because this one fell away, well, well what happens when someone in your group falls away? Whether you're Pentecostal, Charismatic, Baptist, Reformed, whoever you are, don't be so quick to make a general judgment based on limited information. Just a word of wisdom there. All right, before I take you back into my Thursday night debate with Rabbi Shmuley, I want to go to the phones, and let's see. We will start with Joshua in Pennsylvania. Welcome to the line of fire. All right, I'm, I'm having a delay on my system here. But remember, in the Truth Studio, I need you to bring our caller on the line. So, Joshua, are you there? Okay, we may just be having technical problems because of me broadcasting remote from Toronto. So, uh, Kai, you can let me know what's going on with our caller. But I want to take you back into the debate with Rabbi Shmuley. We were debating as the New Testament anti-Semitic. And one of Rabbi Shmuley's issues is, look, if you say that I, as a good practicing Jew, am still lost, am still hellbound, then that means that you're anti-Semitic. And my position is, I don't care who you are, Muslim, Jew, atheist, Christian, you're not good enough on your own to make it into God's kingdom. God sent his son to die for us. If we reject his mercy, we're lost. We reject salvation through him, we're lost. So I, I'm pointing out to Shmuley that, look, you as a traditional Jew have to reject the fundamentals of Christianity. You must fundamentally, categorically go against those things. So in a moment, I want to play clip number seven, so I'll have that ready. So this is the interaction we had when I was saying, look, you are saying that everything Christians believe is false. Now I'm going to open that up. Clip number seven. You do not believe that he died for the sins of the world. You do not believe that he rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. You do not believe that he fulfilled the messianic prophecies Therefore, what you're saying is what all Christians through all history have believed is fundamentally wrong. So why with what? do you... With Jews and Judaism? Uh, no, no, no. Just about Jesus. Do you, do, you, do you believe it's right... And you said that fundamentally wrong. What do you mean wrong? That it's fundamentally untrue. Okay. That Jesus did not really fulfill the Messianic prophecies, that he did not really die for the sins of the world, that he did not really rise from the dead, that he did not really ascend to heaven, that he's not really coming back as the Messiah and King to establish his kingdom on the earth. So you are saying that as a Jew, you reject completely, which is your right, okay? You reject completely the fundamental truths of the New Testament on which Christians are dying for their faith, being butchered. I mean, you share this concern too, being beheaded, being burned alive, being tortured to death because they believe these things which you say are not true, but that you're allowed to say that, but if I say your beliefs are wrong, I become an anti-Semite. I don't think that's no, fair. No, that's, that's not true at all. That's not true at all. I will state categorically something that you're not prepared to state. I will state categorically that my Christian brothers and sisters who live righteous, moral, ethical lives are absolutely going to heaven. 
It's always been a Jewish belief. You do not have to be a Jew to be saved. All right, so, so uh, Rabbi Shmuley is making the point that he can say to Christians, if you lead a good ethical life, you go to heaven, but we can't say that to Jews. And as I said to him during the debate, righteousness is like filthy rags. A little bit more from the debate, and then I will go to the phone. So we continue our dialogue now with clip number eight. If you love someone, you don't believe that they're going to burn forever, even though they lived a righteous life, and they raised their kids, and they gave charity, and they tried to be loving in marriage, and they, and they learned to forgive, and they're still going to hell because they don't have the right beliefs. That has been the whole problem of persecution throughout history. It is the essence of bigotry. It is the essence of prejudice. We have to get beyond that. All right, so that would express very strongly the Jewish emphasis on ethical living. And of course, you find that throughout the Hebrew Bible, the strong emphasis on ethical living. At the same time, you find an atonement system because of our failures and sins, and you also find that overwhelmingly we were condemned because of our sins. In other words, it's like putting out a team. Let's say you, you get uh, a local junior high football team, all right, and you're going to put them up against the New England Patriots, the Super Bowl winners, and they're going to play a series of 30 games, and each game the winner gets $100 million for their team. Well, the Patriots are going to crush that team every game. Nothing's going to be close. It's going to be – and now each time you tell that junior high team, try your hardest, do your best, try your hardest, do your best. Yeah, but their best will never be enough. And that, of course, is the point we're making. So Rabbi Shmuley in a Jerusalem Post editorial – had called me a dinosaur in the Christian community because he's hanging out in Christian circles that are pro-Israel. And in these circles, they're working together with Jews to stand against anti-Semitism and to support the modern state of Israel. So their goal is not, first and foremost, if a Jew comes into the meeting to proselytize, but to say, hey, we're inviting you to our meeting not to proselytize, but to stand together against anti-Semitism and attacks on Israel. So that gives him the impression that these Jews don't think, that these Christians, excuse me, don't think that Jews need Jesus. So clip number nine. That's why I wrote respectfully, respectfully, <laughs> that you're a dinosaur in the Christian community, respectfully, <laughs> because what I'm saying is you're a good man and you have many students, many students. And we've debated many times, and you're a scholar, and you're a scholar, and you have a, 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 a wonderful wife and wonderful kids. And I, I always look at how a man raises his children to see the, the quality of the man and the ethics of the man. And you're a very good man. But I feel that you are still stuck in a theology that I believe most of my evangelical brothers and sisters are rejecting today. I don't believe they focus on proselytizing us as much. Maybe the people in this room feel differently. But if I go to Kufi, and I love going to you know, Christians United for Israel or other Christian organizations to fight for Israel, I'm not there so they can proselytize me. I'm not there so they can convert me. They love Israel because of Scripture, and they're not trying to proselytize me. And they would never say that I'm going to hell because I'm a Jew. So I think your theology, so I think your theology, actually people have kind of moved on. And that was my whole point. 
and I feel you're still very trapped in this belief, and maybe, if I can say this respectfully, maybe it's the fact that you're a Jew who converted to Christianity and you need to justify this very strongly in your own mind and through the own choices you made in your life that you have to make sure that the rest of the Jews come along for the ride. Ah, so he made his point very clear then. Here is how I responded. Clip number 10, the last clip we'll play from the debate. How many of you consider yourselves here Christians, followers of Jesus? Just raise your hands. Uh, how many of you? Only, only, only a few? Okay, put, put, your, put your hands down. Uh, how, how many of you really want to see Jewish people come to faith in Jesus and think it's important? Okay, it looks like there are a whole bunch of dinosaurs here, and like the dinosaur Paul and the dinosaur Matthew. So I'm in good dinosaur company. Yeah. <laughs> And, and of course, just about everybody there that's a believer raised their hand and suggests we want to see Jewish people come to Jesus. It's important to us. That is one of my issues with an organization like Kufi, Christians United for Israel. I thank God for it in many ways. It stands up for the modern state of Israel. It combats anti-Semitism. It does a lot that is genuine and good and important, and I appreciate it at the same time because it makes clear we don't proselytize. In other words, we're, we're here to stand with you, not to secretly set you up uh, to, to be proselytized, right? That would be unfair and unethical. Oh, come to this dinner as we're going to stand together to fight anti-Semitism, and when we get you to dinner, all we're going to do is preach conversion to you or something. No, but you still say, hey, we, we proselytize all the time. We want Jews to believe in Jesus. We're just not pushing for it in this setting. That's something needs to be said. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. All right, let us go straight to the phones, and we'll try again to connect with Joshua in Pennsylvania. Welcome to the line of fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. Is uh, the phone working? All right. If, I think so. Hello? I'm talking to somebody. It must be you. Yep. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. I can uh -huh. hear you. Okay, so my question is... Uh, Regarding your uh, confrontation with the black Hebrew Israelites this weekend. Uh, so I've noticed that a lot of black Hebrew Israelites are very hostile and uh, pretty mean when it comes to talking about uh, the faith. And uh, they really need Jesus, I see. But uh, I've had some run-ins with them myself, and I just want to know what some good scriptures are to uh, kind of come back at their arguments that really don't really have any... Uh, foundation. Yeah, I, I appreciate you asking. And listen, there are there are hate-filled people of every color and from every race. There are uh, I have run into hate-filled ultra-orthodox Jews. I have run into hate-filled Muslims. I have run into hate-filled white bigots. In this case, hate-filled black bigots. So hatred 
is the the issue here. The last thing I would discuss or debate is the color of Jesus' skin, because that's not the issue, and that's what they're going to be hammering on, and they're going to make you into evil their ancestors, etc. I would I would focus everything on we've all sinned. I've sinned, you've sinned. And when we stand before God, we don't stand before God so much as males or females or Americans or Chinese or black or white. We stand before him as individuals, sinners who need the mercy of God. I would preach the love of God through the cross. I would say through the cross, God is shouting to the entire human race, I love you. Through the cross, God is shouting to the entire human race, I forgive you through my son if you will turn to me in repentance and seek mercy. I would emphasize that. And because they're going to try to hit with some type of legalistic attack, I would make clear None of us are justified by the law. None of us are justified by our good works. We're justified freely by his grace. There's more and more info being made available online. Uh, Hopefully there'll be some good systematic presentations that are being put together both on the history and the theology and effective ways to reach them. Obviously, in a setting like that, If you are a black Christian, you have a better job of reaching them than a white Christian, just like I imagine a white supremacist would listen to a white man more than a black man because of the hatred in his heart. But God can touch anyone through anyone. And if you'll go to carm.org, C-A-R-M.org, the information is not comprehensive there, uh, there's much more to be added, but there's a, a good amount about false beliefs. There are different groups. Some of them are closer to the truth, some of them way off from the truth, but they're souls that need mercy and forgiveness. And, you know, the thing is, if you can engage them outside of the platform, because in the yelling, screaming public setting, it's going to be difficult to do that. If you could engage them in a way just privately or talk or say, hey, what's your gripe? You know, come in with humility. What's your issue? Just let them. I mean, for me, I was going to confront face to face. That's not always the best way to do it. Carm.org, and then type in Hebrew Israelites. That should be helpful. Okay, thank you for the call. Uh, let us go to Brett in Orlando, Florida. Brett, welcome to the line of fire. No, I guess he's not there. All right, Brett's not there. Uh, let us. Let us go to Zach in New York. Zach, welcome to the line of fire. I tell you what, uh, I'm not sure what's happening with our calls today. Uh, I have an issue getting on where I can see them and control them uh, because of, for some reason, my connection here in Toronto. We broadcast on the road frequently and it's very, very rare that we have issues like this. But whatever's going on, if it's perfectly clear to you, it's not clear to me. Uh, so I, I, I don't want anyone listening to dead airspace. But let, let me just share with you from the heart, as I always do. As you know, I always will. Okay. 
Uh, it is so important that we combine grace and truth. That we can have the truth, we can be accurate, we can be informed, we can be educated, we can have all kinds of knowledge. But if we don't have love, I mean, look, Paul has a famous chapter about that, First Corinthians 13. We're, we're just a bunch of noise. We can be anointed with power, prophecies, spiritual gifts, miracles, healings. We don't have love. It's worthless. Now, the fact is, our society today, and many parts of the church, put this emphasis on love, 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 but we don't have truth. It's a nebulous love. It's, it's a love that, that never warns. It's a love that never confronts. When I spoke in, in Bethlehem, in Beit Jala, last year, at the Christ at the Checkpoint Conference as the only pro-Israel speaker at the conference, when I spoke there and I challenged them lovingly and with tears, I read from Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27 verse 5 says, open rebuke is better than secret love. Okay? Open rebuke is better than secret love. But at the same time, it, it then says, and I read this next verse in Hebrew and English and Arabic, that the kisses of an enemy are profuse, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. But you can say, oh, I love you, I love you. But if it's real love, it's going to confront. It, it's, when, when Nancy, the, the person in this world more committed to me than any other human being, when Nancy tells me this is wrong or that's wrong, or I'll show her something, I disagree, or you're making a mistake, she does it because of love, all right? And, and often the great majority of confrontation comes out within a family, if it's a godly family, because of love. And our confrontation with the world is based on love. But if it's also not joined with truth, what good is it? Okay, you love someone, but you don't tell them the truth. You love someone, they have bad driving habits, but you don't tell them their driving habits are bad. So they end up crashing. On the other hand, you might be so out of control that it's impossible to hear what you have to say even though you're speaking the truth. So I just want to appeal to you. It's, it, and listen, friends, we get flooded with appreciation. I mean, just today at this conference. But every time I talk to people and, and comments that come in every, every day thanking us for speaking the truth in love, Thanking us for being patient with those we differ with. Thanking us for setting an example. I, I'm telling you, God has worked in my life so that it's natural for me to speak the truth in life, in love. I've, but by God's grace, he has helped me to do that, and I believe that we can help others. Uh, a question I'm just going to read from a caller, Stephen Connecticut. Should Christians be involved in marketing marijuana. I don't see how. You might say, well, you know, Christians, can Christians work in a store, a convenience store where people buy cigarettes and they have to give them cigarettes? Or can you be a flight attendant and serve alcohol or work in a restaurant where people serve alcohol? Or, you know, is it any different? 
if it's a state where marijuana is legal, why is it any different? Well, first, everybody has to work that out in their own conscience between them and God. Whether you could be in a restaurant and serve alcohol. You say, well, you know, people are going to do what they do. Right. You have to make that decision. Well, alcohol in moderation is fine. What if people start getting drunk? Will you serve? So you have to work that out. Look, I, I know a guy, a uh, church where we got saved, and he, he worked at a convenience store, but if anyone came in, what buy cigarettes, he would have someone else serve them because in good conscience, he couldn't sell them cigarettes. They're, they're damaging their lungs. Well, the same way, though, it, what if they come in to buy Oreo cookies? Could you work in an ice cream shop, Right. And give out scoops of ice cream, knowing that, that, that obesity is killing more people than, than alcohol and, and tobacco. So, I mean, everybody's got to work this out between them and God. But to me, the legalization of marijuana, and we're not even talking about medical marijuana. We'll just put that in a separate category entirely for the moment. But if you're talking about recreational use of marijuana, can a Christian be involved in marketing that? I couldn't. I couldn't come near doing anything like that. To me, we are helping people hurt their lives, and therefore there's no business getting involved with it, and there are other ways to make a living. Hey, friends, be sure to check out AskDrBrown.org. Important videos posted and partner with us. Why not take the jump, become a Patreon partner, and be blessed as you do. Back with you tomorrow.